Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. I want to start off by reading Psalm 46. Psalm 46. Because a lot of people, I believe, when they refer to the presence of God, they, you know, they've heard in church that God is omnipresent, and so that God is everywhere. However, even though God is everywhere, that doesn't mean His tangible presence, or another way to say it, would be His anointing is everywhere. And there's a difference between, you know, God's presence is everywhere, meaning His presence is even in a bar, His presence, He's omnipresent. There's not a place on in the universe that God's presence is not there, or else He would not have total dominion over that area. So there's a, there's a grand difference between the omnipresence of God, in that He's everywhere, and then the glory of God or the uh, tangible presence of God or the pre- the manifest presence of God which is not everywhere because you can go to a bar and you're not going to feel the manifest presence of God you're going to go to uh, you, you go to a hockey game and you might not feel the manifest presence of God you go to uh, certain areas you're not going to feel the manifest presence of God you go to some churches and you do not feel the manifest presence of God that does not mean God is not omnipresent it's not that his presence doesn't dwell there it's that the manifest presence is not there it's that there's a a level of the presence of God but there's not the full-fledged glory of his presence that's in operation in those areas but I want to show you today the difference between carrying God's presence and what that means for you and just knowing that God's presence is out there there's a grand difference there is a distinction that you have to make and that when you make that distinction you can then now identify where that where the actual tangible presence of God is and where he's not and some of you you go to churches where you haven't felt the presence of God for 10 15 20 years there might be some people watching right now even on the replay you go to a church where you don't remember the last time you saw someone get baptized in the Holy Spirit you don't remember the last time you saw someone come out of a wheelchair you don't remember the last time you saw someone get a, a blind eye come open or someone sick that gets on stage and actually tells the testimony of how God has brought them out and I tell you if you've been to a church and it's been a year and you haven't seen a testimony like that it's probably a good time to change churches because I don't want to be where God was I don't you know there's a church in uh, I won't say where but there's a church on this earth that many blessed men of God and women of God visited throughout the early 1900s mighty men of God Smith Wigglesworth Howard Carter all kinds of powerfully used men and women of God that saw signs saw miracles saw wonders in operation and uh, even the pastor of that church was a mighty man of God had such so many testimonies it was the largest Pentecostal church in America for many years but you go there now and there's not much going on so I'm not going to attend that church I'm not gonna you know tie my family into that church because of the history it has I don't want to be where God was I want to be where God is right now walking and operating on the earth I don't want (laughs) to that's why I can't get along with people that all they do is focus on revival history because yes it's nice to to visit revival history it's nice to look back on what God has done but that should be something that stimulates us and motivates us and inspires us to believe God for what he can do today 
here and now. He's not the, he's not the God of yesterday alone. Jesus Christ, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's not the God of just yesterday. He's not just the God of tomorrow. Let's look forward to the book of Revelation and the things that will unfold then. He's the God of yesterday, today. He's the God of today. And God is working on the earth. And if I were you, I would search out where is he working in my town? Where is he working in my city? And that's where I want to connect myself because I know that if I connect myself with his presence, then I'm connected to his purpose. And if I'm connected to his purpose, then his provision and his power will follow. If you're just tuning in right now, I'd encourage you to share this broadcast. And I'm going to go through five keys or five things, five realities that the presence of God brings to your life. I'm going to start off with Psalm 46. I'm gonna, first of all, you have to understand that God desires to dwell with you. That has to be something said in your spirit. God desires to dwell with you. There's a lot of people that think God is some far off entity who dwells in the heavens and has zero desire to be with his children, has zero desire to actually dwell amongst us. And I'm going to show you not only does he dwell among us, but the Bible says, I will dwell in you. And so you have to settle it and conclude today from the word of God that I'm going to open up to you that God desires to dwell with me that God's presence is not something that lives in heaven but God's presence lives in me God's presence lives around me I'm encompassed with his glory and I'm filled with his his spirit Psalm 46 our God is a refuge and a strength verse 1 a very present help in time of trouble Therefore, we will not fear. That's one thing the presence of God does to you. It'll blast out fear. It'll blast out inferiority complex. The presence of God is like steroids to your confidence. It just injects you. That's why David could confidently say in Psalm 18 that by my God, what was he saying? By the presence of God that's on my life. Because remember in 1 Samuel 16, 13, the spirit of the Lord God came upon David mightily after Samuel had anointed him with the Holy Spirit. And he began to do exploits from that day onward. Well, what was what did David say? David said, by my God, I I can leap over a wall. I mean, that's supernatural confidence. Some of you can testify to that. You've been in anointed services. You've been in a meeting where the power of God was just very evident. And you you felt like you can just, you just want to go on a chase, find out where the devil's headquarters was and just burn it all down. That's what the presence of God does. It infuses you with divine confidence, which enables you to stand not in inferiority compared to the devil, but carrying a superiority complex over the devil that indeed no man can be able to stand before me all the days of my life. David said, I can run through a troop. I can, I can lower my shoulder just like Jerome Bettis, Pittsburgh Steelers, number 36. Remember watching? I remember playing Madden 2006, I think it was. And that guy, you, you had truck stick in Madden 2006 on the Xbox. They had those analog sticks and you could push up and that was truck stick. And Jerome Bettis was like a beast and he could just lower his 
his shoulder and you'd press Chuck's truck stick and it didn't matter if it was a defensive lineman or an old, uh, a linebacker or a cornerback. If it was a cornerback, man, God bless that guy's soul because he got leveled in the same vein. The presence of God is like a truck stick. It enables you to, no matter what's coming in opposition to you, you don't have fear in your heart. You, yeah, I was thinking yesterday, actually, that uh, fear is not an emotion. Fear is not something you feel. Fear is not some mental uh, dilemma that goes on. That It's an, an emotion that's caused by some physiological lack of serotonin or lack of some chemical in the brain. Fear is not natural. Fear, you remember when God created Adam and placed him in the Garden of Eden, there was no fear there. There was supernatural dominion. God said, let us bless man. And uh, man was a carrier of God's presence. It was the moment that man sinned that the enemy took dominion over the earth and took dominion over mankind. And the Bible says the moment that happened, Adam feared that he was naked and he went and hid himself in a bush. And God walking in the cool of the day cried out saying, Adam, where art thou? And Adam had to come out of the bush and finally God gave him a temporal remedy when he slayed an animal and made something to cover his nakedness so the shame of his nakedness would not be revealed. But remember, in the book of Revelations chapter 3, the Bible says that Jesus said this to the church of Laodicea, I counsel you to buy from me gold that is refined by fire so that you may be rich because when you're in depravity, when you're not in Christ, you're poor, you're wretched, you're naked, you're vulnerable, and you're miserable. But Jesus said, I counsel you therefore to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may be rich and and I counsel you to buy from me or to receive from me white raiments, white garments, so that the shame of your nakedness should not be revealed or could not be revealed. So what essentially, what does that mean? It means that God wants to recover the glory that Adam lost in Eden, which was the tangible presence of God. It was God's glory clothing man, clothing mankind. And not only did God say, I'm just going to clothe mankind, he went a step further and said, I'm going to indwell mankind that even in, Ad, in Adam, God did not dwell in Adam. God dwelt around Adam. God dwelt with Adam. But in the new covenant, we have an even better covenant than what God had made with Eden. We have God living on the inside of us that everywhere we go, we're supernaturally empowered by his spirit to bring life because of the presence of God. So we read here, therefore we will not fear. We will not fear. Fear is not an emotion. Fear is a spirit. And in order to arrest that spirit, there has to be, Jesus said it in Mark chapter 3, very uh, perfectly. He said that there is a strong man who when he's fully armed, he guards his palace and his goods are in peace. And it takes one that is stronger than the strong man. So that strong man you can say is, represents fear. Fear, when it's left alone, it's it strengthens itself in your life and it it uh, guards its palace, meaning that there's nothing that can get in. There's no human. There's not med You cannot medicate the spirit of fear. You know, I was listening to a minister yesterday, and he said that when a, a man is stricken by a spirit of insanity and they go nuts, doctors can prescribe pills in order to alleviate them, to calm them down, to bring them into a state of rest, pretty much into a state of mental nothingness, so that when the, the doctors medicate the body, the spirit then 
pretty much because if the body's like lying dormant, the body can't work. If the body can't do anything, then the spirit has nothing to work with. So medication, all it does is it squashes the body's ability to cooperate with the spirit. But it takes the blood of Jesus to actually deal with the root issue of fear, with the root issue of depression, with the root issue of anxiety. And that... Um, Jesus said that when a strong man fully armed, when fear is fully armed and it guards its palace, its goods are in peace. You can't do anything about it. However, when one stronger than he, who represents Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one who 1 John 3, 8 says, the Son of God was made manifest to destroy the work of the devil. When one stronger than he comes in, he arrests the strong man, he binds him up and kicks him out, and then his goods are no longer in peace, but you now can come in and plunder what the enemy had stolen from you. That's why I love that old song. I'm going into the enemy's camp and I'm taking back what the enemy stole from you. God's presence has a restorative effect to you that when his presence invades your life, every foreign presence has to bow out. For Psalm 94 says, when God arises, when God steps in, when God decides it's time to visit my child, when God arises, rises every one of his enemies is scattered you understand why the devil has such a hatred for you it's because you were created in God's image you were created in the image of God and remember the rare the very reason Satan got his rear end cast out of heaven was because he said I will be like God I will make myself like the most high I'll ascend above the stars of heaven so Satan wanted to be like God. He got his rear end cast out of heaven because that was pride. And then God said in the garden, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So now the enemy has a, not irrational, he has a wrathful hatred for mankind because what he wanted to have God gave to man for free just by being born in his likeness and so if the devil can't get to God to repay him for what he's feeling he tries to go after his most prized and precious possession which is you and is me you know I was um, listening to a preacher who said that he had watched Judge Judy one time and in that specific episode of Judge Judy there was a woman that was going to court against a man and uh, actually it was the opposite. The man was going to court against the woman. And the man had a nice like 2000, what, whatever the year was, beautiful brand new Camaro SS, everything decked out. And they had broken up not too long ago. And he took back the keys to his home. She moved out of his house. Obviously, you know, anything that's out of wedlock is going to go to smithereens. It's in sin and sin brings death. So what ends up happening is she had such a hatred for him after that. I don't know why they broke up, but it was not on good terms. She had such a hatred for him after that, and she couldn't get in the house to actually hit him with a bat. So she went after her that guy's new Camaro, took her key, and started to scratch it all up, took a bat to it, and demolished the Camaro because she couldn't get to him to pay back what she felt in her heart to try and make his life miserable. She went to his next his most prized possession which was his car and so in the same vein the enemy tries to do the same thing to, to God's children he can't get to God so he tries to get to his children but the good news is is that in Christ Jesus hallelujah in Christ Jesus we have God living on the inside of us the Bible says come out from the unclean thing and I'll receive you to myself I will be your God you will be my people and I will dwell in you and the same power man 
again, I want you to write in the comment section, the same power, the same power that you saw me use over and exercising over the enemy, over the devil, the same dominion, the same anointing that you've seen me exercise on the earth, that I'm not walking around wondering where the devil is to try and avoid him. He's walking around wondering where I am trying to avoid me. You see that perfectly illustrated in Mark chapter 5. The Bible says that Jesus comes to the land of Gadara and he gets his foot off the boat onto the land. The moment his foot hit the land, the moment his toes touched the ground, that demon who could not be cast out, who could not be tamed, who could not be bound, neither by shackle or by chain. The Bible says the moment he heard the feet of Jesus hit the ground, he ran to him. He couldn't be tamed by men. That's why I'm here to tell you, you can't tame your depression. You can't tame the anxiety. You can't tame the fear. You can't tame the problems and the enemy. The enemy cannot be tamed, but he can be bound. And the way he's bound is not by human effort or by exercising great intellectual wit, the way he's bound is by exercising your authority by the presence of God in the name of Jesus. And look what happened. That man who could not be tamed walks to, runs to where Jesus is, falls face flat on the ground and says, what have we to do together? Oh, son of the most high God. You want to talk about what God's presence does. People always, they belittle the presence of God to like goosebumps. They belittle the presence of God. Oh, I felt something. He's not some energy in the room. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the great I am. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the bright and morning star. He's the one who was and is and is to come. He's the great God who formed all things. He's the one who is invincible, who's inconquerable. He's indomitable. He's the great God whom the Bible says can never lose a battle and he's greatly to be praised. I'm not going to reduce his presence to feeling something in a service. Yes, you can feel and feelings are good, but there's so much more to the presence of God that's not taught. The presence of God is not you crying and blowing your nose at an altar and then going back to the miry clay that you walked right out of the presence of God empowers you for total victory in every area of life and that's going to be your story from today in the name of Jesus Christ you are leaving this broadcast with fire in your eyes with confidence in your spirit and the last time you ever suffered defeat will be the last time you ever suffered defeat from today onward you are marching onward as more than a conqueror one who is led in total triumph everywhere you go because of the presence the sweet aroma of God's presence diffused from you will diffuse any adversary in Jesus mighty name therefore we will not fear we will not fear the first thing the presence of God does number one is his presence eradicates fear his presence disarms fear the Lord Psalm 27 let me read it Psalm 27 Verse 1, the Lord is my light. If you're just joining me now, uh, I'd appreciate it if you shared the broadcast. I see Frankie, Curtis, Jay, Shiloh, Virginia, hey, Jill, Ariane, Bridget, Curtis, Idalia. God bless you guys. Please share the broadcast. I think I saw Kenneth too. Psalm 27, verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? God's presence is all around me. What can I fear? You know, when, when you have the name of royalty, 
If you were the son of like a royal prince and you come in with that name, or better yet, forget the name, you walk in with, the ro with royalty himself, with your father, they would pull out the red carpet for you. Nobody would talk back to you. You would walk a in a different pace. You'd walk with a strut. You'd walk with confidence because of your father who's royalty and as such you're a prince. In the same vein, you have not royalty, not some king on the earth. You have the king of kings and the Lord of lords who accompanies you everywhere you go. As such, it should reflect in the pep in your step. It should reflect in the way you talk. It should reflect that when you hear bad news, you don't crawl into a den somewhere and start weeping profusely, wondering how you're going to make your way out of this one. Instead, instead, you understand that you have all, just like the prince of a royal, an earthly king, if he hears bad news, we have armies that are encamping against us, and you got to prepare yourself. Well, he can just call his father and say, hey, can you dispatch to me some you know, battalion or whatever, and he knows that he has the resources of his father that back him. In the same vein, when you carry God's presence, you carry God's resources, and his resources are not uh, expendable. They're not, you can't run out of his resources. His resources are, uh, never are insufficient. His resources never deplete. His resources, he said, I have all the silver and I have all the gold and I'm never hungry. His resources, the Bible says, is all of his power and might, which Psalm 63, 66 verse 3 says, that uh, I will say unto my God, how marvelous are thy works, O God, through the greatness of thy power, thine enemies submit themselves unto you God's resources are is the backing of his power and his power causes the submission of all your enemies all around hallelujah the Lord is my light and my salvation there's therefore who sh what shall I fear whom shall I fear Stop being afraid of the report of doctors stops being afraid and carrying some inferiority complex that gets you to walk down with your shoulders tucked in your head down as if you're some peasant on the earth. You are not a peasant. You are God's royal priesthood. You are a chosen generation. You've been redeemed from the curse of the law, and now you are the blessed seed of Abraham, and all things belong to you, the Bible says. All things are of Christ. We are God's, and all things belong to you. So you got to walk as such. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid of? When the wicked, so that he's not saying I'm not afraid because nothing ever comes against me. You know, I walk totally uh, above circumstances and situations. I, I never have any problems in life. No, he's not saying that. He's not saying I have no reason to be afraid. He has reason to be afraid. But he's asking, whom shall I fear? That's why David said in the Psalms, whom have I in heaven but you, God? And there's none I desire on this earth except you, Lord. That's why before you can get his presence, you have to have a craving for his presence. As a deer panteth after the water creek, so my soul panteth after thee. Why? Because his presence is invaluable. His presence, it means victory for me. His presence means everything to me because without him, I am nothing. Jesus said that even I, Jesus, the son of God, could do nothing on my own. Only what I see the father doing. Jesus 
Jesus nailed the point and the secret of his success in John where he said, I am working always and the Father worketh with me. The only reason Jesus had success wasn't because he was the Son of God, wasn't because he, he, he was born of a virgin, he had success because he valued and prized the presence of God. Some of us, we are too cheap with God's presence. We go to church, we cross our arms, we chew gum throughout worship, and that's why there's not any presence felt in that room. But if people, my people, would start humbling themselves and call on his name and pray, turn from your wicked ways, God said, I'm going to hear you from heaven, and I'm not going to send an angel to come alongside. I myself will come and heal your land. Hallelujah. And if God can heal a land, what do you think God's presence can do in your house? If God can heal a land, what do you think God's presence can do in your children? If God can heal a full land and nation, what do you think God's presence can do for you, your business, your health, your body? There's nothing the presence of God can't overpower and prevail against because it's a prevailing presence. There's nothing that can stand against God. And as such, there's nothing that can come and stand against his presence. His presence presence means everything to him to me Catherine Coleman if you've ever seen her minister she would minister with such a, a, a reverence for God's presence there's no reverence anymore there's no reverence people walk in casually to church they sit down throughout worship they casually read words off a screen their words their Jesus said these people they draw near to me with their lips but their heart is so far from me but I've made up my mind that just like David said my soul longeth after thee. I'm going to long after God. What does it mean to long after God? It means to stretch for. It means to do anything and everything. To get to. It means to totally disre disregard your own uh, uh, your own reputation. It means to totally pick up your cross. Come after him. Seek him no matter what it means. No matter how crazy you look. No matter if you look beside yourself. I'm going after his presence. And not only do I have to go after it. His presence lives in me. But I'm going to do everything to guarantee that I secure that anointing. If you protect the anointing and the presence on your life, the anointing will protect you. I'm not going to be reserved. I'm not going to just sit back and... You know, that's why you saw the woman with the issue of blood. The presence of Jesus walking through her town. And the Bible says that many were touching Jesus. But none of them had reverence. It's like people, they, 10, 000, you can have a mega church of 25,000 people and not one walk out with a miracle. Then you have a church that just started, has 35 people, and there's miracles happening on a regular, and they're going to grow and multiply supernaturally. Why? Because you, you, it doesn't matter the amount of people pressing in. It's about what's on their heart. Many draw near to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. David was prized in God's eyes. The Bible says that he was his beloved why? Because David was a man with a heart after God's own heart. That's when he went, that's why when Samuel went to anoint one of the sons of Jesse, Eliab looked in the natural to be the strongest. Eliab looked in the natural to, to be the most, uh, the most affluent, the most influential fig figure there. He, he looked the strongest. He looked like the mighty man of war that Israel needed. But God rebuked Samuel and said, don't look at the height of his stature or at his countenance, for man looketh at the outward appearance but I the Lord I look and focus at the heart and David had a heart after God's own heart when everyone else was out to battle he was just playing playing 
his harp, worshiping the Lord, writing many of the Psalms that we read today. And then that's why when he had, <laughs> he in the private place secured God's presence. So when he was in the public place and Goliath started to mouth off, the Israelites had no private devotion, uh, promote, they had no private devotion. So they had no public promotion, but David had a private devotion to God. So when he came in contact with Goliath, nine foot six, a warrior from his youth, though David had no experience necessarily in war, he had one thing and that's an experience and an encounter with God's presence on a daily basis that's why when Goliath came out and said what am I a dog you're coming to me with sticks and stones David didn't get scared oh I will not fear though my adversaries rise up my God is my crown and my glory and he looked at Goliath straight in the eye and I tell you David killed Goliath with his eyes and his mouth before he even killed him with his stone and a, and a sling he looked at him right in the eye and said I don't come to you with sticks and stones these are only things I'm going to use to kill you with. I'm coming to you in the name. What was he saying? I'm coming to you backed by the presence of the Lord of heaven's armies. And this very day, I cry out, God stands with me, and I'll cut your head off and feed your body to the birds of the air. And he had a great victory, a great victory that day. David said, when the wicked came up against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and they fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. My heart shall not fear. I'm telling you, when the presence of God moves into your heart, every fear has to move out. God's presence cannot cohabitate with, with fear. God's power cannot cohabitate with Satan's vices and schemes. God's power, God's spirit will not cohabitate or share, share the throne of your heart with a foreign spirit such as fear. That's why David could say, I will not fear. Though an army may encamp against me, though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. What was this? It was that God was with him. It was that God was with him. And as such, he made my hands to bend a bow of bronze. He trains my feet to run and to run like a deer, to, to walk on the high places of the earth. David said, I know that God is for me. He's amongst those that help me. Therefore, I will not be defeated. I will not give up and quit. He that began a good work in me shall complete it. So what are five things God's presence brings? Number one, his presence brings help. God's presence brings help, supernatural help. You can, that's why I don't seek, I don't look unto men because cursed is the man who seeks after man's help. Man can only help you to the point of his limited resources allow him to do that. But there's some things that, in, that you're going through in life that require more than man's wit, man's wisdom, man's help, man's ability, and it takes God's ability. Whatever is listed as impossible will require God's help and God's presence on the scene because he is the only one who specializes in the impossibilities of life. For even in Luke 1, 37 the Bible says for with God nothing shall be impossible nothing shall be impossible so what is David saying Psalm 121 I will lift up my eyes to the hills meaning I'm gonna look at my I'm gonna look at my problems I'm gonna identify my problems I'm gonna locate see it's it's irresponsible to ignore your problems it's irresponsible to try and just avoid dealing and facing with your giants you're gonna face giants in life that's what the 
10 spies wanted to do. Yes, the land is great. Yes, the, 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 here are the grapes that we plucked from those vines. They took two of us to carry a cluster of grapes. They're so large. Nevertheless, their giants are too big, so we should just seek somewhere else. Let's settle for something God really didn't have for us rather than what he did have for us because we don't want to face our giants. We don't want to get dirty. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, where the trough is clean, uh, where, where no oxen are, the trough is clean, but with uh, much increase comes by the strength of an ox. I'll repeat that. Where no oxen are, the trough is clean, but much increase comes by the, the strength of an ox. What does that say? That if you... If you want to stay at the level you're at, if you want to stay small, if you don't want to do anything great for God, if you want to just, I just want to make it to heaven, I just want to get barely by, I want to, I want to walk on barely getting a by, a, a by street, I just want to keep on with the status quo, then your life will be clean, neat, just American Christianity. You know, there's so many churches that I can think of right now that their church service is so neat and dignified. There's no room for a demonic manifestation so that that man can be freed. There's no room for someone being filled with the Holy Spirit and bursting out in tongues. They're so neat and dignified, clean and tidy. There's no room for the Lord to come in. And people say all the time, well, where there's the Lord, there'll be, there'll be order because God is a God of order. Yeah, he's a God of order, but his order doesn't look like our order. Our order of service doesn't produce miracles. It doesn't produce signs and wonders. God's order of service, look at Acts chapter 2. It's not quiet. Heaven is not a quiet place. Acts chapter 2, the upper room was not a quiet place. It wasn't clean and tidy. There was tongues of fire that fell upon each and every man and they began to speak in other tongues and when this sound occurred, multitudes came together and said, these men must be drunk. But Peter stood up and said, no, these men are not drunk as you suppose. If we had some theological cemetery, I mean seminary students they would have stood up and said you know this is not really biblical this is not a theological this isn't a manifestation of God's presence because there's no order if there were people that gone to some Bible college these days they would have stood up and just vehemently opposed that move because it wasn't the way they ex they expected things to move on the earth you look at Jonathan Edwards and the way <laughs> when he preached that sermon sinners in the hands of an angry God he was such a monotonous preacher he would he read the sermon he didn't even preach it out of his heart he just read it and it was so loaded with God's power and glory and it was so washed and drenched and saturated in prayer that when he spoke it and read it that began the first great awakening and it began because people started the, the foundations of that church began to shake people started to shake and fall to the ground in holy reverence for God and feeling that their feet were literally being dragged into hell so they cried out and that began the first great awakening I mean we have to get out of our box and our religious systems and religious programs and, and, and cute little orders of service and, and allow God's spirit to move. If we're going to have another awakening, if we're going to have God's presence to, to invade the environment that we dwell in. Psalm 121, I'll lift up my eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. That's right. God's presence means God's help. You study the scriptures. Every time God came on the scene, Joshua was about to go and fight. What happened? An angel comes, the angel of the Lord, which is what some believe to be the, the pre-incarnate Christ. And he comes in on the scene, draws his sword, and Joshua says, are you with us or against us? God said, I'm not with anybody. I'm on my own side. 
That's why people have to understand God's not against you and God's not necessarily for you if you're living outside of his covenant. You get onto God's side. God has his own side and then everyone else has their own side. You have to get on God's side. That's why he drew his sword and he said, I'm with the Lord and I'm going to give you the victory. Every time God's spirit showed up, it always brought supernatural help and assistance. John chapter 5. There's a pool in Jerusalem by the sheep gate called Bethesda which is translated uh, I forget what it was translated and the Bible says that he there was five porticos there and there were a multitude of sick people that laid by the waters hoping for an angel of the Lord to come down in a certain season who would steer up the waters and it came to pass that whoever stood in the waters first was healed of whatever affliction they had and Jesus not an angel Jesus' presence comes in on the scene and that man who had been lame and Jesus said, saw that he had been sitting there for a long while and knew that he had been in that condition for a long time. Jesus went to him. Jesus' presence introduced help into his situation. And he came to him and he said, do you want to be made well? When God's presence shows up, there's always a way out. There's always a way of escape. There's always a helping hand. He's not there to comfort you alone. He's not there to provide you, you know, some peace in the storm God's presence comes to totally dismantle what the curse of 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 the lock brought on mankind and to establish God's perfect will and pleasant will in your life do you want to be made well well how can I every time someone the waters are stirred up someone comes in before me and I've never been able to get there first Jesus looked at me and said get up pick up your pallet and walk God's presence means help. There was a widow of name in the book of Luke. She was walking out in a funeral procession, procession, and uh, they were carrying her dead son. You know, she's a widow. She already lost her husband. Now she lost her son totally alone. Did Jesus come there and just, you know, give her the last rites and do a sign of the cross over her? No. He got there and immediately felt, com the Bible says, felt compassion. That's the thing with God's presence. He doesn't come. God's not some insensitive, calloused being. He has compassion for you. He loved God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. The Bible says, I have loved thee with a perfect love. I have even engraved your names on the palms of my hands so that I can never forget. What do you think those engravings were? You're not going to go to heaven and see every single human name written on his hand. You're going to see prints in his hands nail prints in his hands the prince he received when he was nailed to that tree that's what he meant when i'm you i have engraved your name on the palm of my hand i was pierced through so that every time jesus looks at his hands he sees you he sees and he feels that compassion what drove him to the cross what kept him on that tree because he said i could have easily have called 12 legions of angels and obliterated the human race because if one angel had the power to kill 185,000 trained warriors in the old testament what do you think 12 legions of angels would have been able to do could have totally obliterated the human race and started fresh but he the bible says for the joy set before him he endured the cross he despised the shame and it pleased God to crush him for seeing that you and I would one day be justified through the knowledge of his elect servant Jesus Christ hallelujah so he's engraved his your name on the palm of his hand
He's always, you are the apple of his eye. He loves you. And when he comes and visits you, what did Jesus say when he wept over Jerusalem? He wept because he couldn't help because they didn't want to receive his presence. They refused. They rejected the prophet. And so they lost the prophet's reward. And don't let Jesus weep over you because he said, oh, had Jerusalem recognized the day of their visitation, had Jerusalem recognized the day of heaven's visitation, then they would have stayed. They would have not been uh, pummeled by their by, plundered by their enemies but instead now the walls that surround you shall be laid flat and not one stone will, will rest upon another a rejection of God's presence means a life of penury a life of frustration a life of stagnation a life of total obliteration on, on uh, with the devil but an acceptance and a craving after God's presence means establishment in life the Bible says after you've suffered a little while God himself will establish perfect strengthen and confirm you everywhere you go God's presence means help Psalm 54 4 God is my helper and he is with those who uphold me you know what that means God God not only is is committed to help you but he's committed to sending people around you that will help you that will uphold you that's what I believe I, I pray every time that I'll be such of those people such uh, of those people that I'll be one that's sent by God to encourage like Elijah was when he went to the widow of Zarephath and she was on her last meal was going to eat it and die but God sent Elijah to preserve her her household her children even her cousins and relatives everyone was eating fine while they were in a famine because God sent an encourager you see throughout the Bible, Gideon was an encourager to the children of Israel. Samson was an encourager to the children of God. Peter was an encourager. He went to Aeneas, who was bedridden, eight years, paralyzed with no hope. Who knows what happened? Maybe he got into like a chariot accident or whatnot. He got into a, tra tra a tragic accident, and he was bedridden for eight years. But Jesus sent Peter to him. Jesus said, and, and he was lifted up out of his bed, bed uh, bedridden state and totally restored to full mobility. Jesus sent uh, Paul to the island of Malta a native island an island that had no clue who God was had never heard the gospel or anything and when Paul had finished visiting that island God's spirit in Paul totally overturned so that Malta even to this day has a church that's established that it's one of the oldest churches in the entire world God's presence is a helping means a helping hand and remember God is for you and not against you. Number two, his presence secures provision. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. His presence secures provision. I want you to write that out in the comment section. God's presence secures provision. Let's find out what that means. So it was, as the multitude pressed about to hear Jesus... And to hear the word of God from his mouth that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. If you're just tuning in now, I'd encourage you to share this broadcast. Thank you for everyone that's tuned in and is watching. You know, praise God from the beginning of this coronavirus pandemic. We've grown the audience. We've grown the, broad, grown the broadcast. And more and more of you are tuning in. You know, help help others by sharing it. And, and uh, let's build this. Let's build this, this broadcast up because this is the message God wants to, to float on the earth. This is what's going to help people. This is what's going to break the enemy's attack on freedom, on religious freedom, on God's kingdom first and foremost. This is the message that if you get this into the heart of men, they'll no longer be victims of fear, but they'll be, uh, they'll be turned into 
victors. God's presence secures provision. Verse 3, Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. And when Jesus had stopped speaking, so there's a time to speak and there's a time to manifest and demonstrate. That's, that is something that is lost in North American churches. Is it's, it's a big oration, a big speech. Sunday is just to hear from the pastor, which I, I totally believe in preaching, obviously, or else I wouldn't be a preacher. I believe in preaching. People need to hear the word of God. But the word of God is not in word only. The kingdom of God is not in word only, but in power. So after the the delivery of God's message, there has to be a demonstration of God's power. Jesus finished speaking. So there's a time to speak and there's a time to stop speaking. First Peter says that God has uh, will strengthen your mouth to be an oracle of God and he will give you ministering ability which God alone can supply. So there's a time to speak and there's a time to show and confirm what the message you've preached through, through diverse signs, wonders, and miracles. So Jesus finished speaking, and he said to Simon, launch out your boats into the deep and let down your net for a catch. But Simon answered and said, Master, we've toiled all night and have caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let it down. When they had this done, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was beginning to break. So they signaled to their partners in other boats to come and help them. They came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Watch it, and what happened? Simon saw it, he fell down on his knees, and he said, Depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him in the boat were astonished at the number of catch of fish which they had taken. And Jesus said to them, Never be afraid again. From now on, you'll be fishers of men I want you to notice Peter it was a trained expert professional fisherman that was his profession that was his trade that was how he made his dough that was how he brought the bacon home for his wife but do you notice something even a trained fisherman in optimal conditions because he went out at like 6 a.m., 5 a.m. Any good fisherman goes out 4, 5 a.m., 6 a.m., top, 7 a.m., maximum to go and, and, and bring in the catch of fish. That's where the that's where you catch many fish. That's like optimal time, optimal conditions. Those were those were um uh those those are optimal conditions. And in optimal conditions, he couldn't catch anything without the presence of Christ in his boat. But the moment Christ came into the boat, I want you to notice God's presence brings supernatural provision and abundance. The moment that Jesus entered into that boat, what couldn't be done in times of optimal conditions got done because Jesus had preached probably till two, three o'clock in the afternoon, which is not a good time to go and fish. And what couldn't be done in optimal conditions was done in non-optimal conditions when it was hard to fish God said Jesus said now that I've entered into your boat go out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch and when they had this done not just enough for him to get by such an abundance of fish came in so that they filled up multiple boats to the point where they were they were beginning to sink can you say amen and Jesus didn't just do that once the moment Peter was count, uh, challenged by some of the people of the of uh, that were trying to like pretty much get Jesus. They were trying to like mess with Jesus' ministry, mess with his reputation. So they came to him and he said, does your teacher pay tax? 
And he said, uh, he went up to, he, Peter went up to Jesus and said, Lord, they're, they're like accusing us of not paying tax. And he said, from whom do the kings of the earth receive their taxes from? Is it from their sons or is it from, is it from servants? And he said, it's from the servants. So the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend, Jesus said, go out and let down your line. So not net fishing this time. This time he's talking about just one rod. Let down your line and the first fish that pops up, open its mouth and take out a coin. It'll be a gold coin in its mouth. Go and pay your taxes and my taxes. Now understand this. That was their taxes for an entire year. If you have middle income, especially in Quebec, you know, 48% income tax. So if you have like a $100,000 salary household income, everybody in your house, that's $48,000 going towards the Quebec government. In Caesar's day, they were known, tax collectors were known for not just taking what belonged to the state, but to abuse their powers and they were taking even more. So Peter's taxes must have been very high and Jesus's taxes were probably even higher. And Jesus's presence in Peter's life, not only in Luke 5, but in that state, not only did he give him enough to pay one payment on the tax? He gave him a gold coin and a supernatural, you know, story of provision where they were able, he was able to pay off his year's taxes and Jesus's year's taxes by one miracle. I'm telling you, God can do a miracle for you where you go from always being the one in need to the one that now supplies the needs to your community. God can do something in your life. God can work a miracle for you, a supernatural, miraculous, uh, miraculous work of provision where you go from always being from paycheck to paycheck to having more than enough. God doesn't want you to just have enough or just enough. He's not El Chipo. He said to Abraham, I am El Shaddai, the God of more than enough. And if you'll walk before me and be blameless, which Abraham did from one chapter, Genesis 12. If you'll walk before me, I'll bless you and make you a blessing. God doesn't want to just bless you so you have enough to meet your needs. God wants to give you such an overflow that you have enough to be a blessing to those around you so that you're not the one asking people for a ride. You're the one buying people's cars. And then as a result, you're then the answer to the prayer. They're praying for a new car. You don't have to just gather your hands around them and say, Father, we're just believing for a car. No, you're believing for a new car. Well, God has blessed me so much here whatever car go to the lot pick out whatever car you want and you can take that car home for you and then what ends up happening paul said it that, that your liberality your generosity results in their abundance of thanksgiving for god you can be a miracle in someone's life when god begins to bless and multiply you god's presence secures provision i want to read this this is a powerful scripture psalm 105 Psalm 105 and verse 37. He also brought them out with silver and gold. When God brought Israel out of Egypt, he brought them out with silver and gold. You know why I talk about money? Because too many ministers are so... Trying to filter my words. They're so afraid to bring up money. When money dominates the minds of people. And Jesus said, you're not to worry about your life or about your body, what you'll eat, what you'll put on. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. So God's plan is not for you to, con you know, if your prayer life is always about praying for money, which by the way, you cannot pray for money. It's unscriptural to pray for money. 
If your prayer life is dominated because your thoughts are always, how am I going to make ends meet this month? Then you're out of the will of God. You're not. The Bible never talks about prayer for money. Do you notice when Peter came to Jesus and said they're asking for taxes? Jesus didn't say, well, let's just pray God will. No, he said, go and work the miracle. And, and, and we don't, that's not something we pray about here. We pray about the loss. We pray about kingdom advancement. We pray about lost siblings. We pray about lost parents. We pray about uh, dismantling God's, uh, uh, dismantling Satan agenda for our nation we pray against the forces of darkness we pray that God's presence and power will prevail we pray that God will raise up men and women in this last day and hour that's what we pray that's what should take up the most amount of your prayer time that and praising God not worrying about how you're going to make your money this month not worrying about how you're going to pay that bill this month how you're going to pay your water bill this month how you're going to pay your electric bill this month those are things that dominate the minds of unbelievers we're to seek first the kingdom of God what does that mean we're to pray kingdom advancement prayers lord anoint me today father let your power rest on me today that where i go light would dominate and arrest darkness so that your light would so shine amongst men that they would glorify you in heaven anoint me afresh and anew lord anoint me to cast out devils father give me power this day to heal the sick to raise the dead father give me power that even my shadow falling upon my co-workers lord put people in my path today that will that will be hungry for the word of the Lord from my mouth. Put people in my path today that are that are ready to receive the word, which is when, when it is implanted, is able to produce the salvation of people's souls. That's what that's what God wants you to pray for. Not Lord, I, I really need that bill paid. What a cheap prayer. We're not to pray about money. We sow into the kingdom, and as a result, he that sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. That's why I talk about money, because people have been deceived into thinking that you can just pray about money and they can just, you know, ask God to provide it. That's not how it works. Paul, now my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory, Philippians 4.19. Read the entire chapter. He's talking to the Philippian church that at the beginning of Paul's sermons and Paul's ministry, they were the only church that were sowing into his ministry. They were the only church that were giving towards the, the advancement of the work of God. You see, the viewership goes down when you start talking about money because there's a lot of people in North America, money's not an issue. But I know people stayed on because some people, you know, there's a lot of people, oh, we don't talk about money. Yeah, because all your needs are met. Your kids are going to college. You don't have to sweat money, but there's people who are believing God for a miracle and they need something something or else like that widow of Zarephath they don't know how they're gonna make it that's why preachers shy away well let's not talk about money let's not then you have a generation of people who don't know God's will on provision God's will in his promises that he said I'm Jehovah Jireh the God who provides that he said I am the Lord your God who gives you power and anointing to create wealth that I might establish my covenant with thee look at anyone God used in the Bible if you hate wealth, you're going to hate heaven because the streets are paved with gold. I'm not saying you should covet another man's wealth. That is sinful, demonic, and you'll go to hell doing that. I'm not saying you should, your life should be, I want to make as much money and increase so I can build bigger barns like that fool in the parable that Jesus spoke. I can build bigger barns and, and, and make a kingdom unto myself and build this empire where men will immortalize me and, and, and uh, you know, my legacy will, that's satanic. That's the wisdom of this world. I want God to bless me financially because there are kids overseas that need to eat. And forget overseas, there's people in Montreal that need to eat. I want God to, to multiply and increase me fruit, 
my fruitfulness financially because there are people that are believing God for a miracle provision and I don't want to join with them in prayer I want to I want to sow that into their life there are churches in Pakistan that need money to put a roof over their head Lord we just pray that you'll no how much does it cost I'll write up a check where can I email where can I send it to His presence secures provision. Psalm 105.37 He also brought them out with silver and gold. There was none feeble amongst their tribe. Egypt was glad when they departed. See, when God brought Israel out of Egypt, they didn't come out empty-handed. They came, the Bible says, loaded with silver and gold. Why? Because they had to establish God's work. They had to, what do you think? <laughs> How do you think God built the Ark of the Tabernacle the, um, and the Tent of Covering in that day? It was with the money that they had plundered the Egyptians of it takes money to do the work of God it's not just let's just go and do a crusade here okay takes money now listen to this the people asked and he brought them quail he satisfied them with the bread of heaven he opened the rock and the waters gushed out it ran in the dry places like a river so God's presence even in dry places turned that place into a river so I'm here to tell you today doesn't matter what the famine looks like on the earth. Doesn't matter if they project that there's going to be a second wave and the economy is going to collapse and we're looking like we might have another 1930s depression era. Doesn't matter what the world systems and analysts are saying. My economy is not this world's economy. I've tapped into a higher economy and that economy is based on heaven's economies whose resources are unlimited, who God said, I own all the silver and all the gold and I have a cattle on a thousand hill. That even in the midst of dry places, God can make it into a pool of water. Even in the midst of, of, a, of a wilderness, God can turn it into a spring and a fountain of water. Number three, his presence means favor. Ezra, the Bible says, and the good hand of my God was on me and caused me to succeed. Josiah sought the Lord. As long as he sought the Lord, the Lord made him to prosper everywhere he went. Genesis chapter 30, 38. Listen to Joseph's story. Genesis chapter 38. 39. Now Joseph, now the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. And what did it do? See, you have, this is why I took time to preach on the presence of God. You have to be conscious of what God's presence means and what it does for you. It's not just, he's not just there to, uh, to encourage you. No, he's not just there to, you know, to make you feel good in life. He's not just there as a crutch just to get by. There are things, the presence of God brings supernatural success in everything you do. How do we know that? The Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. And, he, and the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Come on. He was a successful man. I mean, you know, before I got saved, you know, things were going well. We were doing so well. You know, I had a Division One scholarship to this school. And, you know, financially our business was thriving. Then when I came, came to the Lord, it seems like all hell broke loose. And, but I know one day it'll be worth it. That one day we'll walk on streets of gold. Amen. Did Jesus go around telling the blind people, you know, though you see nothing here on earth, the first thing, be glad that the first thing you see when you enter in eternity will be my face. No! He, he, he opened up the eyes of the blind. 
the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man and everything he did was prospering. Psalm 1, when the Lord becomes your delight, he'll make you like a tree planted by the riverbank. In every season he's made to prosper and whatever he puts his hand to shall be blessed. Deuteronomy 28, the Lord's presence will command a blessing on all to which you put your hand to do. God's presence means favor. You know what favor is? What doesn't work for others works cheaply for you. Effortlessly. Favor, and the Bible says, Psalm 512, Thou, O Lord, will surround the righteous with favor as with a shield. Thou will bless the righteous, and with favor you will surround them as with a shield. What does the favor of God do? Man, you look at Obed-Edom. What did the favor of God do to Obed-Edom when the ark of the, of the presence of God came to his house? After David got afraid of it because they had mishandled it and it killed two people, uh, it killed Uzzah, one person, so he put the presence of God, the tabernacle, into the house of Obed-Edom. What happened? Within three months, everything that Obed-Edom had began to thrive and prosper. Even the crops that he said, maybe we're not going to get a good harvest there this year, began to supernaturally grow and prosper because of God's presence. That's what favor does. Favor causes growth even in times where people are not growing but receding. Favor causes progression even in times where, where men are expecting regression. Favor causes exaltation and promotion where it seems like there's none of that in, in sight. Look at what the favor of God did for, uh, for Jesus. The people marveled at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. Look at what the favor of God did for Peter throughout his ministry. That many signs and wonders were done by his hands and they were all together around him. Look at what the favor of God did for Hezekiah that when he was challenged by a foreign king the Bible says that with him was the arm of God to fight his battles he didn't have to fight he didn't have to sweat what other people sweat for we sweatlessly obtained by the favor of God on our life and there's that song that everyone's starting to sing which is based on the prayer uh, the, the priestly blessing number 6 24 and 25 Lord bless you and keep you cause his face to shine upon you when God's face shines on you peace comes joy comes things work out now I know that my God shall work all things for good that's why Joseph because God's favor was on his life even when he was cast into a dungeon in a prison he went from the prison to the palace in one day because God's favor in his life prevailed. And I tell you, God's favor in your life will prevail. Look at Esther. Comes before a king who in those days, if you came without an appointment, you'd get killed on the spot. She came and the Bible says the king granted to her all her requests because of the favor of God on her life. You know what the favor of God does? When you go and ask your boss for a raise, he goes like this. Mm, yes, 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 you can have that raise. What did I just say? What did I just promise her? When people want to say, when people are saying no to others, when God says yes to you, others say yes to you as well. Number four, his presence brings healing. The Bible says in the book of Luke, Jesus was teaching and the power of the Lord was present there to heal. Everywhere Jesus went, he brought healing power to the sick. 
The Bible says the spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring relief to the captive, to those that are captive in sickness and disease. God's power, God's presence is a healing presence. It's a healing reign. Bible says very clearly, when Jesus showed up to see Simon Peter's house and his mother was there lying sick with a fever, what happened? Immediately, he went to where she was, laid his hands on her, rebuked the fever, and the fever left her. In the name of Jesus, I believe there's people watching me right now, you have fever, and you're experiencing chills, and you're thinking, oh, this must be the season. Not this again. In the name of Jesus, that fever clears out of your life. I rebuke it now. And you shall rise. And the strength of God comes, in, uh, comes in, into your body right now. In the name of Jesus Christ. You look at Jesus coming into the synagogue and there's a woman bent double who had suffered many things by the hands of many physicians. And the Bible says she was 18 years lying there in that position. And when Jesus showed up on the scene, he rebuked it, turned her loose, and an 18-year infirmity, 18-year problem, 18-year plague in her body was overturned through one encounter with the presence of God. That presence coming alive on the, the same spirit, when it comes alive on the inside of you, will quicken your mortal body. I curse every sickness in your body in the name of Jesus Christ. Be healed by the power of his presence right now. When his presence comes, it's like a flushing force. It flushes out every disease, every human weakness bows out of your system and it gets swallowed up by God's strength. You read about, you read about Acts chapter 19, God's presence in Paul, just handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body and it carried a healing power, a healing effect. That woman with the issue of blood, 12 years, when she heard that Jesus was passing by, she pressed through, touched the hem of his garment and said, if I could just touch the hem, I'll be healed. Meaning if I can just connect with that presence, I want you to notice something. God's presence, I said at the beginning of this broadcast, He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's the Spirit of God. The Bible says, where can I hide from His presence? Where can I flee from His Spirit? Even if I go to Sheol, He's there. Even if I take the morning wings and go out into the midst of the deep, behold, He's there. Even there, His hand leads me. His hand, his hand will guide me. But just because His presence is everywhere, just like the Spirit of the Lord was roaming over the surface of the deep in Genesis chapter 1, it doesn't mean that everyone is benefiting from that presence. You have to connect the same way that you have, you have airwaves, television airwaves, radio frequencies going on around, around me. Right now, I can pick up my phone and turn to the right frequency, and uh, I can pick up on a, on, on a radio station anywhere in my in my vicinity and now with satellite radio I could pick up on a radio station anywhere in the world because of satellite station XM satellite radio but just because it's there doesn't mean I'm hearing everything that's going on I have to take the time to tune in 
So you have to tune in. You have to connect like that woman with the issue of blood. I'm going to connect. And when you do, you connect with the virtue that flows from his presence. And what is that virtue? It's healing virtue. In thy presence is fullness of joy. It's joy virtue. At his right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. Not pressures. There's peace virtue. In your presence, you will show me the path of life. That means there's direction virtue. There's a directing virtue. There's a, 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 a guiding virtue that flows from God's presence. So if you're lost or at a fork in the road, the presence of God can give you the answer and the direction as to where you're to go. And then number five, his presence brings life. And I'll finish with that. In thy presence is the path of life. God's presence brings life. John 11, Jesus shows up to the tomb of Lazarus. He who was dead four days, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Wherever his presence goes, life, life comes with it. Wherever his presence goes, resurrection power goes with it. Lazarus did not need healing in his kidney. He needed resurrection life. Some of you have dead things in your body. God's presence coming alive on you right now is going to bring those things back to life in the name of Jesus Christ. Some of you have dreams that have dried up and they're dead and there's no chance in the natural to resurrect. God's presence resurrects de dead dreams. I mean, you look at Joseph, gets sold into slavery. You talk about it. He had a dream at a young age that his brothers would bow to him and that he'd have a place of, of prominence on the earth. And what ends up happening at 17 years old around? He gets sold into slavery. Dead dreams. But God was with him. And that which was dead sprang back to life because of God's presence. I am the way. I am the truth, Jesus said. I am the life. I am life. He's the prince of life, the Bible says. And the Bible says to those that do wickedly, even rivers will be turned to dry ground. Even springs of water will be turned into desolate places for the wickedness of those that dwell in it. But unto you that are righteous, the dry places will be turned into pools of water. What does that mean? Where there was no life. There's no life in the desert. Where there was no life. It takes a river. It takes water to support life. That's why every major civilization had its place, its, its position next to a body of water. That's why the Nile and Egypt was such, Cairo is such a... a, a, a a prosper, it was such a prosperous place, especially in the days of old. That's why New York City is next to a water, a, a water source. Every major city back in the day, especially, was 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 next and near to a water source because that guaranteed their sustenance, that guaranteed their stability, that guaranteed their life. Well, in the same vein, Jesus said that I am like a river of water, and when you stay near, see that's the thing. God's presence, his, his, his location doesn't change. We either distance ourselves from or draw near. That's why James 4, 7 says, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. 
Purify your hands, you sinners, and cleanse your minds, you double-minded people. Draw near unto God. Who can ascend the hill of the Most High God? Meaning, who can abide in His holy presence? Those that have clean hands and a pure heart. So I'm here to ask you today. There's only one way to have clean hands and a pure heart. There's only one way into God's presence. There's only one way to ascend the hill of the Most High God. There's only one way to have that life that Jesus said is life more abundant. And that is it, Jesus Christ. Are you born again? I don't mean have you prayed a prayer at an altar. I mean, are you born again? Are your desires changed? Have you crucified your passions and desires at the cross? Have you repented of sin? Have you turned to the one true, righteous, holy, living God? Have you put aside your old self? Have you laid aside malice, evil speaking, envy, boastfulness, pride, arrogance, disobedience? Have you picked up your cross? Have you totally decided to immerse yourself in God's plan for your life? If not, you need to get saved. Because the Bible says, whoever does not forsake all to follow me is not worthy of me. And I tell you, he that puts his hand to the plow and looketh in another direction is not worthy of me. And Jesus said in the book of John, that my servant, where my servant is, let me read it actually, because I want to get it right. The book of John. Verse 12, verse 26. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, him my father will honor. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. That's right. God's presence is something. You, you have to follow the presence of God. You don't come up with your own plans and expect him to come alongside you. You find out what God is doing, where God is, and you follow him. And when you make the Lord, Jesus said in John 10, my sheep know my voice and they follow me and the voice of a stranger they will not adhere to. And when you make God your shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. I will not lack. That's when lack loses your address. That's when lack stops being the object of concern in your life. I will not want. I will not lack. For those who delight in the Lord, God said, I will give him the desires of his heart. He leads me by still pastures. He makes me to lie down by green pastures. He leads me by still waters. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Are you with God? If not, you need to get saved. And when you do, he said he'll anoint you with fresh oil, he'll make your cup to overflow, and goodness, mercy will begin to follow you every day, every day of your life. You'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And your enemies round about, God said, I will lift you up to the rock that is higher than your enemies. And I'll keep you from the calamity that you've been experiencing. And I'll protect you. And I'll be a very present help in time of trouble. 
But he came to his own and his own did not receive him. God cannot help you if you don't want to receive his help. God's hand is stretched forth your way today. Don't slap the hand that can help you. Embrace it. Put your hand in the nail-scarred hand of Jesus today. Let him bring you to his place. Let him make you to be seated with him in heavenly places. The anxieties have overwhelmed you, but God's comfort will delight your soul. Make room for him today. He stands at the door of your heart, knocking. Open up your heart to receive him. And he said, if you'll do that, I'll come in and I'll dine with you and you with me. And so ye shall find rest for your souls. The Bible says, for a long time, Israel was without the living God, was without a teaching priest, and trouble followed them everywhere, because trouble chases sinners. But unto the righteous, what's the righteous? Those that live in God, and God lives in them. Unto the righteous, God gives them rest round about. I'm here to ask you today, have you, have you ever located a time in your life where you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Where you got on your knees before a holy God and said, Lord, I've done things my own way, but I'm through with it because there's a way that seems right unto men. It's and it's the way of death. Today, I'm redirecting my eyes. I'm setting my eyes on you. I believe in my heart. God raised Jesus from the dead that you're alive and well, and that you live forevermore. I put my trust in you, that all of my good works could not obtain right standing with God, but I know what you did in Christ, that's what gives me my righteousness. That's what gives me a right place with God. If your, your garments are dirty and stained today by the stain of sin, you don't have to stay stained. You can make a choice today where God's detergent is not like the world's detergent. Because the world's detergent, you wash something and it gets dirty again. God's detergent keeps you ever clean. Let him wash you by his blood today. And though your sins were as red as scarlet, God will make them as white as wool. Pray this with me if you'd like to make that decision today. And if you've already done it, but you've fallen away, you're not living for God, you've turned aside, you've gone astray, you're on your own way, you're on a path that has only produced death for you, you're like the prodigal son, you're in a city and a town and a nation called sin and you've come into famine now and you finally come to your sense and it says how many of my father's servants have bread enough to food for food and have abundance and here i am eating pig's food but i will return if that's you and you're desiring to return today you can do so by praying this with me say this with me from the bottom of your heart father i come to you today i repent of my sin forgive me and wash me I believe in my heart, God raised Jesus from the dead. And I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord unto the glory of God. Fill me with your spirit. Convert my weaknesses into strength. I thank you for your presence that is now in my life. For you said, he that has the Son has life i thank you that i'll never lack i thank you that my sorrows are turned to joy in jesus name amen if you prayed that prayer i want you to get in contact with me by going on my website salvationnow.ca and the first link that pops up is i just got saved fill it out get it to me i want to get some material to you i want to get a book to you a bible to you i want to help you out i don't want to 
have you go alone in life, not knowing what to do, not having a Bible. The Bible is a lamp to your feet. It's a guiding, a guiding force for life. It'll tell you God's thoughts for you, and you need to get that in your heads if you don't have one already. But let come in contact with me. If you've already, you already have a Bible and you just want to, you, you prayed that prayer with me today, I want to hear from you. I want to know your testimony. I want to hear what God's done in your life. And uh, go in salvationnow.ca. I just got saved. Fill it out. Get that information to me. I'll never ask you for money. We're not going to ask you for anything. I just want to know that you prayed that prayer with me. Secondly, if you'd like to give today, you can do so by going on our website, salvationnow.ca slash give salvationnow.ca slash give stay connected with us by visiting us on twitter instagram or facebook by searching at tj Malkanji, or visit us online www.salvationnow.ca god bless you and until next time